Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Economist Asks. I'm Anne McElvoy, head of Economist Radio. And today we'll be asking whether a new generation of leaders in the Balkans can change a region marred by wars in the 1990s and frozen conflicts since. Last June, Anna Brabnitz became the first woman and first openly gay person to take up the office of Prime Minister of Serbia. After the breakup of Yugoslavia in the wake of the Cold War's end, the Balkans find themselves walking a tightrope between two major power blocks, the European Union and Russia, and not just on big power questions. So I'll be asking her what she would say to President Putin on his poor record on homosexual rights. Closer to home, there are challenges too. On the 17th of February 2018, Kosovo will mark the 10th anniversary of its unilateral declaration of independence from Serbia. But many ghosts haunt these two countries and their neighbours. So Serbia carries a heavy weight as it tries to chart a new path between East and West. I met Prime Minister Brabnitz at the World in 2018 event in Hong Kong. At the top of her list is EU accession for Serbia, which seems to be a settled will in Belgrade. But a lot of things that are happening in the country do seem to pull against it, not least the clampdown on media freedoms recently. I started by asking her, to put it bluntly, how she expects to get into the EU against that background. As for the media, it's a very interesting question for me because I do not see in which way the media freedom in Serbia is under question because we have more than, I think right now, 1,600 media outlets. So a really huge, unsustainable number. But that's due to media strategy, which was also in the, in the set of media laws. So there's no the, pressure on independent media in Serbia coming from the government. Are you absolutely that, sure you can say that? I'm absolutely sure I can say that. I haven't seen any government which is more open to inviting all the media for their events, responding to questions from all the media outlets, uh, uh, and really being open. So for the independent any, publishers, who can, I think there are about 150 who complain that they're under undue pressure, have it wrong, in your opinion? In my opinion, yes. But having said that, I completely understand that I'm obviously not objective enough because I'm the prime minister and, you know, I, I, I have my own view. So I try to keep a dialogue open with all of these outlets who are now grouped in this group called uh, Group for Free Media. I invited them for the meeting and I said, we are coming from, you know, we have a very different view on the media freedoms uh, in, in Serbia, but I want to hear you. And I think the media plays one of the key roles in building up a truly democratic society, in pushing for reforms. And I want to understand I want to understand, be able to understand you, but at the same time, 
I want you to be able to understand me and the government and the president, for that matter, where we are coming from. Uh, so, and because I think that dialogue needs to happen so that we are not polarized society. Let's talk about your role. You're relatively new to, to government. You're kind of sort of a newcomer among the, the prime ministers in Europe, a relatively uh, young woman, quite an, an exciting development for Serbia. But, but how do you then relate to a powerful president who has a, you know, a, a history and a sort of history that's rooted in a certain form of, of politics in Belgrade and a, a certain kind of nationalism in Belgrade? Are you the token liberal in the government? First and foremost, I think that uh, uh, the current president, uh, Vucic, has, uh, I haven't ever met anyone who is working so hard on himself uh, to actually understand that, um, uh, you know, the mistakes he has made, the, the mistakes he's making today, learn and improve himself. And I think it's a, it's a really, really, truly admirable characteristic that I think more politicians in general in the Balkans need to have. And I think that all of us can learn from it. Now, uh, secondly, uh, what he is and how he's perceived are two very different things. And uh, when I joined the government in August 2016 as the Minister of Public Administration, I found it very, very easy to work with him. And he supported you, all you, of my decisions. you are decisions. more liberal than he is, true? I, um, certainly on the surface, but it's also, you can't compare it because in all honesty, I do not have that power that he does. I do not have this strong political party behind me. I have their support in the parliament, but you know, it's, I, I do not, I'm not a party member. And mm -hmm. so if I may say so, it's, easier for me to be more liberal you know uh, he on the other hand has pushed all of the truly liberal things in serbia the brussels agreement which is very difficult to sign he at the end of the day stood behind it and he was widely criticized in serbia for this He's even criticized for it in the last presidential campaign from the so-called pro-democratic, pro-liberal candidates. He was the one for push for very, very unpopular fiscal consolidation measures, but much needed. In that, he pushed for a very liberal attitude. He was the one uh, to actually uh, support the labor law, very liberal, but resulted in a very flexible labor market and employment which was more than half in the past three years. Now he has pushed for the first female prime minister, openly uh, gay prime minister, LGBT, and he's, you know, and he... That, that's uh, the, he, the point where people say, well, that that's interesting. I mean, it, it, it's very good that you are out there and it obviously is a, you know, a, a great example for gay women in, in public life. But there is a suspicion that that was very useful uh, to the ruling party because it, it gave the impression of a, a rather more cosmopolitan liberal outlook that is really there. How do you feel when you hear that? I think that that's easy to say. I think that to actually do that in, in Serbia, 
to actually be brave enough to say, well, perhaps this might work and perhaps the people in Serbia will turn against me. So I think it was a brave political move. And I think, I think that today it's easy to criticize it as, as merely a uh, PR stunt. Mm-hmm. I think it's much I think it's much Did uh, you have any qualms any worries about taking the job on that on those I, terms? Well, listen, I uh, my only worry is that I wasn't experienced enough. That was my worry. Uh, and whether I'll be able to actually do the job and Serbia doesn't have time to lose. I believed in myself. I also believed that, uh, you know, I'll have the support of the president who, who was the prime minister in the past three years to actually clearly, you know, uh, uh, even with, with things that are, are not my major strength, and that's, for example, foreign relations and politics. But, you know, I think I'm a quick learner, if anything. And so, you know, I try hard. I, you know, I, I, I learn every day and I try hard to promote and present Serbia in the best possible manner. And I think I make a, a very good team with the president. So, you know, we feel um, each other's gaps very well. Let's uh, come back to the the thing that's so hard to, to get away from can never really be, be got away from, and, and that's the the recent war, the breakup of Yugoslavia and everything that's followed. We've just had those big verdicts uh, come through in The Hague at the International Criminal Tribunal. General Mladic uh, sentenced to life in prison at the Croatian uh, general who dramatically took his life in, in front of the, the tribunal. Do these events on both sides, one Bosnian Croat, one Bosnian Serb, lead you to conclude that justice is being done and it's even handed but has Belgrade come to accept the Hague as a process? Uh, very difficult question to be perfectly honest uh, and I, I was I had meetings with the uh, representatives of the of the Hague Tribunal with Mr. Bramerts as well as the president of the Hague Tribunal I do not think that the Hague has done justice to the wars uh, in the former Yugoslavia and I do not think it uh, it uh, really contributed to reconciliation. And some might say, well, the reconciliation wasn't really the primary goal of the Hague Tribunal. I would disagree. I think that, you know, if it would have been perceived differently, then it would have uh, uh, brought about reconciliation. But what could have been different after these dreadful events? I mean, you saw the charge sheet against General Mladic, Srebrenica, you, you, everything that that happened and of course there were atrocities on both both sides here but what is wrong with this process what would have worked better i would not argue about the the, the convictions them, them themselves i would actually argue for the people who weren't convicted uh, because i think that you know we had uh, we really had um, you know terrible crimes in uh, uh, the operation storm more than 200,000, 250,000 people expelled from Croatia. Croatia basically ethnically cleansed. Uh, you had uh, more than 2,000 people killed, and those people were basically, uh, you know, either the uh, invalids or, or old people who could uh, yes, not flee. And but, no but one, but no one was responsible at the end of the day. No one, all the generals uh, were acquitted, uh, you know. Similarly to Bosnia, you know, you had, and I don't well, want to Bosnian say that Bosnian Croats have 
been Bosnian Croats, but Bosnian Muslims weren't. I mean, there weren't anyone who was, you know, on the on the Kosovo side, Kosovo Liberation Army. You can't say that there were no crimes committed against Serbs and other non-Albanians, but everyone, you know, basically walked free. And that's why. But but just to say. It's very difficult for me to talk about that because, again, when I say it, I don't think it will contribute to regional reconciliation. So I would, I would, my my final point is, let's please look towards the future and 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 leave this behind, and try really try very hard to say, new generations are coming. We have so many things in common. We have to look towards the future. And also, that was one of the additional controversies in my appointment, is that my grandfather is Croat. That's my father's father is Croat. And he's not, uh, you know, Serb from Croatia. He's he's a Croat from the island of Krk. You know, I spend uh, a lot of uh, my time in the, in the childhood there. I have many friends there. I love to go there. I go there often. And uh, and so I think that those kind of things show that we have many things in common that we need to look towards the future. That we. It sounds to me like you want to you want to move on almost faster than any country can. And there is, we won't stick on this forever. But there's just one or two little. You're actually nodding. No, no, please. I you know I think that it's important. I don't want to be. I want to be able to really openly and honestly discuss these issues. but then let me put to you just a, a sort of crunchy point about language. It is still officially in Belgrade uh, the case that the word genocide is not accepted for what happened, particularly with what looked like, for many of us covering it on the ground as, uh, as reporters, trying to be even-handed, what looked like something that did deserve the name of genocide. You talk about crimes. That seems to be now the language of choice. Is there a reason, if you like, for haggling with The Hague and others who and the UN who have used the term genocide? Well, I don't think it was a genocide. It was a terrible, terrible, terrible crime. I don't think it was a genocide because, uh, you know, it wasn't an, ac- an action which basically said we are going to kill all the people there so there are no Muslims anymore there. Uh, you don't have to exterminate everyone for it to be a genocide. But... Well, I, I think in the def- definition of genocide, you have to. So you you kill, you know, you kill uh, children and you kill women and you kill... Isn't that so what that, happened in Srebrenica? That, that, that did not happen in, in Srebrenica. So I think that... Uh, there were no young people killed, children, people under 16 killed in Srebrenica. I... I to be honest, I do not think it was a genocide. Uh, I, but I, you know, I, again, it's so difficult for me to talk about that mm-hmm. because it was a terrible crime, and it, and one of the, you know, the crimes that I do feel ashamed also personally because it was done, you know, because it it portrayed Serbs in a way that I do not think our country should be portrayed. Because I I do truly believe, again, going back to an easier issue of LGBT and, you know, Serbia being perceived as this very homophobic, very Balkan conservative nation, I don't think we are. I actually think that Serbs are a very... Uh, open-minded, generous people, not perhaps, you know, open-minded, but people who at the end of the day do not judge others by whether they're Muslims or Croats or 
or gay or straight but are good people or not good people so that's 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 why i love about my country and i feel you know i really i cannot uh say how terribly i i do feel for the 90s and what was done in the name of serbs uh i i don't think it's i understand that and i, I you know i can see you're genuinely moved by that you know you're, you're choosing your own way to describe it but i wonder if, if you had the chance would you have yugoslavia back again <laughs> no no i think i don't I, I i think it was a great country I think it was uh, it was a country which uh, had a huge potential to do uh, many positive things for Europe and the world, uh, but since it broke up and in a way that it it did, I would not try that experiment again. But I would uh, want to see a very different Balkans. I would like to see a Balkans which is uh, reconciled, the Balkans which works together, which uh, does not have borders per se you know that would that include independence for kosovo would you use the word independence i wouldn't use the word independence i think uh, i using the word independence would uh, would uh, as we said open open up pandora's box that we see you know in catalonia today that we could see in in many other countries in Europe and across the world, I wouldn't say independence. But I think that what we're trying to do now is to find a long-lasting solution, not to leave the frozen conflict for the generations that are coming, you know. And uh, in that... What what is the halfway house to independence that could work? It would be accepted by Kosovo. I don't have an answer to that Mm. question right now, but I hope we could find one in the months to fall. I hope we can find that one in 2018. I think we have a historic chance now to find a long-lasting solution. I think that we have all stars aligned. And if we do not find it now, if we do not use this chance in 2018, that chance will not repeat itself in the decades to follow. Someone described the the strategy of Serbia overall, the, the geo's strategy as sitting on two chairs, looking towards Europe and European accession and and mending uh, relationships commendably with with, with Germany, with Berlin on the one hand, but also cozying up to uh, Russia under Vladimir Putin, who seems to stand for an entirely different value system and has, you know, also had his incursions or sponsored incursions into independent countries on the other. How long can you keep this strategy going of uh, being on sort of both sides of that values divide? Yes, this uh, whole metaphor of two chairs is, uh, I think, unfortunate one, you know, and I keep saying that, you know, it's not two chairs, it's one chair, it's Serbian chair. And we are completely for... Uh, the EU, and that's our strategic goal. Uh, this is, uh, you know, and again, it's not because of the money, and that's very important to keep emphasizing. We are not promoting Europe as one big pot of money at the end of that journey. It's the system of values that we want to be, become part of. Well, if you want to be part of the system of values, then you probably have to peel a bit away from a leader in Russia who has shown contempt for liberal values in the broadest sense, who has also, when it comes down to it, was quite happy to sponsor military incursions into into Ukraine and and to take back Crimea by force. But but Serbia has always been very, not always, 
And again, it's one of those Serbians, uh, Serbian terms, always or never. We have this, you know, we, have, we, are, we are people of uh, the, op, you know, op opposites always. It's, so not always, but in the past three years, I would say, in the past three, four years. And I think that was one of, again, big things that was changed by Vucic, is that we have uh, started to have a very honest politics. For example, for Ukraine, we're friends with Russia, but we completely support territorial integrity of Ukraine. We do not support independent Crimea. We think that's one of these things that will open Pandora's box. So we support Ukraine very openly, very honestly. You know, we say this in the US, in Brussels, in Moscow. Also, the same is with our European integration. So. What about Montenegro? What about a situa concrete situation on the ground where there seems to have been a change of leadership which happened with a lot of support from Moscow? Does that make you feel comfortable? You're not that far away in Belgrade. But listen, the, uh, we have close ties with Moscow, obviously, but they stem from the tradition, from the religion, from this whole Slavic brotherhood, you know, the language and, and all of that. Also from the economy and trade. We do have free trade agreement with Russia. It means a lot to us, but it's one of the free trade agreements we have. It's important because we try to build a, a stronger economy and increase our GDP, which is, I think, also important for the EU integration, because I think EU needs a strong partner, not the, not the you know, impoverished potential member that everyone will then need to support. I think, on the contrary, and, and we have this, obviously, the energy relationship with Russia because we are dependent on the Russian gas. So it's a complex relationship, but it's, a, it's one of friendship which always says, but our path is to the EU. And, and Putin and Moscow, they know that. If you met... Mr. Pigeon, I don't know if you have already. No, I haven't. If you have, I mean, one obvi obvious area of, of vast difference is his treatment of minorities, not least homosexuals. What would you say to him? Very good question. Uh, I'll see when I met him uh, whether we will uh, at all talk about this. Uh, but but remember that uh, it's not not all of the EU countries treat minorities equally well, and there are some EU countries that also uh, shy away from from really treating minorities well. It's not many of them with leaders who talk about homosexuals the way Vladimir Putin does. Not many, many of them. Any that I can think of. No, no, Come no. <laughs> that's that, that, that's true. But but see, you know, uh, in the uh, see the, the migration crisis, you know. I think in the migration crisis, Serbia has actually managed to prove that we do share all of the EU values, some of the EU values that not even you know, some of the EU members share. We had over one million migrants passing through Serbia. We currently have 4,000 migrants in Serbia. We never closed the borders. We never put up fences. We now provide schools, which I'm especially proud of, to the um, uh, children who are in Serbia migrant children, you know, we offered even citizenship to many of them. Unfortunately, they want to move on. But this is the, the image of Serbia that I think, you know, I want to portray and I, 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 I want to say this is the Serbia of tomorrow, the country which does actually share the EU values. And granted, there are, there are uh, issues to be resolved, but I think we're on the right track.
I should just ask you before we go, your English is clearly so fantastic. It comes perhaps as a, a surprise to a lot of people, not, not just a, as a Serbian prime minister, but to meet you know, anyone from a completely different linguistic background in Europe who speaks so well. And I think this is partly down to your education, which is a bit of Britain and a bit of America. So I'm going to ask you what you took with you from these two experiences. What, what, what is your, what's in your backpack from Britain and, and what from America? Uh, I'd say that uh, uh, much more liberal from the US. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, my, you know, Northwood University has advocated for a very, very liberal economy. And uh, one Michigan. of my, one of my, in Michigan, yes, one of my, uh, one of my favorite subjects, I still go back to those tax, tax books. Uh, I wouldn't share all the views today as the prime minister, uh, to, to be honest, but, but was econ, econ, economics of public policies that every public policy has a consequence to the economy and you really have to, to think hard about what really are the economics of your public policies. Uh, and uh, for the MBA in the UK, I, I would say uh, to me uh, uh, much more difficult than BBA uh, in, the, in the US, much, much more difficult. Um, and uh, perhaps a little bit of uh, conservatism. So I have uh, these two different views that I take with me and uh, which helped me enormously now in my new position. And you, you, you brought back I with you an I interest in say, Britpop as I well. Have say, I have to say that I, uh, when I became the prime minister, I got a very, very nice letter from the University of Hull congratulating me. I was, I'm very proud of that letter. I hope to be able to go to, to have perhaps a lecture at the University of Hull when I go back. Uh, I'd love that. I'd love that. And the, uh, uh, the pop, uh, the, the, my favorite band is the Mode. So. <laughs> so maybe you could go and get an autograph at the I same time. I love pulp as well. I would, yeah, certainly I would love to be, meet, uh, you know, some of the Brit pop musicians. We'll see what we can do. Prime Minister, thank, thank you, so you very much. Thank you very much. I'm Anne McElvoy. Thank you very much for listening. And if you have any thoughts on Prime Minister Brabnitz's interview with us, do send them to us, radio at economist.com or on Twitter at Economist Radio. In London, this is The Economist. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.